Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Fandom Science Podcast. We have a real fun episode today with sports psychologist Dr. Cassidy Preston. Uh, As you'll hear in the episode, Cassidy played in the Ontario Hockey League for over three seasons before he went on to get his master's and his PhD in sports psych. And now he's the founder of Consistent Elite Performance, uh, where he and his team work with a lot of high-level athletes in hockey, golf, and other sports on their mental game. So we had a really interesting chat about a lot of topics in sports psych, including imagery, confidence, meditation, emotional regulation during games, and so much more. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did when we recorded it. Uh, If you do, please leave a like and subscribe to the channel for more interesting episodes coming soon. And with that, we'll send it over to Cassidy. Enjoy. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. You were just telling me how busy you are. Yeah, what's, my uh, pleasure. What's your daily schedule like these days? Uh, well, it depends on the baby wakes up, but uh, that, that that's highly dictating yeah. the schedule right now. I bet. Um, but yeah, I'm usually up by around six or sometimes I try to get up before the baby and do some work and um, I'll do a lot of reflecting at the start of the day and planning my day and meditation usually. Um, and then I'll get into usually try and do some work or I'll have some family time depending on what my night's like. Cause some yeah. nights I'll go out and do presentations or I'll have clients at night. Um, and so that's kind of like, so the days change a bit that way and mm. make sure I take some family time. But then that it's a lot of calls and then creating, um, doing, working on like creating actually the business side of it. So, mm. uh, planning that way and working with people and my, I have an admin, uh, assistant that helps with all that too. So. It's nice. a, they're pretty hectic days. But, How many hour days approximately? Um, it ranges, but like uh, usually at least eight hour days kind of thing. Okay. So like sometimes it's like a 14 hour day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I think yesterday I had my first call and stuff. I started at like seven, eight. I was doing work and had a few breaks and then I wasn't done to work till about 7.30. So that's like a 12 hour day. Wow. Yeah, so that's roughly. Yeah. <laughs> How old is the baby? Baby's almost 10 months now. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, nice. she's uh, she's a lot of fun. Very healthy. Mom's doing mm-hmm. a good job, so. Nice. It's, uh, That's awesome. You're going to turn her into like this psychological beast? Oh, yeah. She's, she's going to be like the <laughs> toughest mentally. Oh, yeah. She's going to be time. all over uh, golf, tennis. Yeah? For sure. Individual sports? Yeah. Uh, like uh, my wife was a elite basketball player, so okay. she'll do basketball, soccer, I'm sure. And um. But I like I like golf and yeah, it's yeah, easier yeah. for me, so <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> no yeah. reasons to go to Florida in the winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. <laughs> Thinking ahead, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> well, you got to plan. You invest in your child, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're gonna get to sports psych, obviously, as yeah. I mentioned, the business, and all that. But I'm actually just as interested in your career in the OHL. Yeah. So you played in the Ontario Hockey League for over three seasons. Yeah, three right? seasons in there, five seasons of junior hockey. Yeah. yeah. How so. was that? Uh, it was a lot of fun. There was definitely a lot of challenges. Yeah. And so that's, I speak to the athletes in my presentations a lot to that. Um, like one of the the big ones in my first year in the O, I had no points. Like I was, I was coming in, I probably not ready overall. Um, but then as you know, it's not going well and then you get less playing time and then all of a sudden I'm in and out of the lineup. And then mm-hmm. I'm just like riding the bench and sitting in, uh, mm-hmm. in the stands a lot the whole season. And it was, uh, that was a really mentally tough year, so it was a good, but a good building experience to deal with adversity and learn a yeah, lot of yeah. the ins and outs of the games and be able to relate to athletes that are in similar tough situations. And so, 
Um, and then after that, it's, it's, I had some ups and downs, won a junior, the OPGHL championship with the buzzers the year after, and, uh, and then had a pretty good last year in the O. So it was, it was a really cool experience for sure and helped pay for my education and stuff. So that's, that was always a bonus. Oh yeah, that's true. So, um, yeah, no, it was, uh. It was a good journey. <laughs> what do you think, like, in, in playing the OHL for, for that many seasons, mm-hmm. what was your favorite moment? Uh, my favorite moment in the OHL? Um, like a big moment or like a goal? Have you yeah, so, any yeah, yeah. So, I, like, I had one game where I was first star, a couple games like that. Um, one, it was just a really, I was just playing, like, just trusting myself playing. Yeah. I had a nice backdoor pass and a really, really nice goal that one game at St. Mike's. Nice. But the probably the other one that stands out, I think it was on – I think it was in Ottawa. We're at, um, and they got the big bright lights there, but we're on, I think it was like Saturday night, like TV, like national TV. And I think I had a two goal game. Like wow. so it was a big game nice. for me. I didn't yeah. have too many two goal games. And, they, yeah, and I big. think I had two, two goal games my whole career. And one of them I think was on national TV. I don't know how many people were actually watching mm-hmm. or anything, but um, that was kind of a cool thing. That's awesome. Um, a lot of yeah. scouts probably are in another game. Yeah, but I you got to do it consistently. They got the kind of recognition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did play a little bit of minor pro, but uh, yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I didn't develop my game enough to really get. Right. I could have played more probably pro hockey if I really wanted to, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go to school and and focused a bit more on that eventually. And so, even after school, I was thinking of going to play pro, and I was like, no, no, I want to do my. Where PhD. Where would that be? So even if it was like minor pro in the states, yeah. So yeah. like I played in the. The IHL, which is now, um, like you know, dispersed into like the EC, uh, the East Coast League yeah, yeah. and the Central. Um, so I probably could have tried out in those, and then, but then there's a bunch of leagues in Europe, like mm-hmm. you guys can find a way and get over mm-hmm. and kind of work your way up. But yeah, yeah, that ended up not being for me. Did so. you have an agent throughout the whole process? Yeah, a guy helped me get to the minor pro team I went yeah. to when I was done. So was, he was, he's more of a player advisor than right. an agent. Uh, I had an agent that helped me with my OHL contract, but he, that's all he really did. Mm-hmm. So, um, where some guys' agents are more involved, mine, uh, wasn't that involved. Right. So, so one thing I, because I, like my thesis is on predicting, um, mm-hmm. success in the NHL from the draft. Yeah. So I've always wondered this, like you played in the O mm-hmm. with a lot of guys who are now in the NHL. When yep. you saw them, did you know like these guys are going to make it or even, even you were like, uh, like who knows who's going to make it and who's not. Yeah. So like a good example of that was like James Neal. So yeah. James Neal was in our draft. I think he was, uh, drafted either just a bit ahead of me or a bit behind me. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't like maybe a third rounder, maybe four, and I was a fourth rounder into the OHL mm-hmm. and, um, no, it, I nobody would have probably predicted. Eventually, he started to really step up. But, like, he's a late-round OHL. And, like, he's obviously outdone most of the guys that were drafted higher than him in yeah. that OHL draft. So, it kind of goes to show it's hard to predict. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just stuck with it. And, cause, and for me, the big thing that's problematic with a lot of these drafts is that they happen and then there's so much changes till they even get into the league, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, how are you supposed to predict what they're going to do for those next two years? Because that's what dictates how good you're going to be. Yeah, It's not how good you are when you're 16. It's how good you are when you're 17, 18. Right. That's how it dictates whether you're going to be a good OHL player or not. Mm-hmm. That's what you do between 16 and 18. Mm-hmm. So um, like you see, that's why you see guys that are really good at 16, but then when they go and they're in the OHL, they don't end up that great because their development path maybe – Right. So they're not doing the right things or, you know, things to stop clicking and they get distracted or whatever. So, um, yeah, no, that's, it's, 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 I always find that a fascinating question, especially like the NHL draft, which is like 
think the average age of NHL players is like 22 when they enter and the NHL drafts at 18. Yeah. So they're predicting how good they're going to be four years mm-hmm. from now. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> they could do a lot of different things yeah. in four years. Like, so and my, that's my understanding of why the drafts aren't generally that predictive. Right. Right. So, <clears throat> but at the same time, like w- yeah. w- what can you do? Right. I mean, yeah, y- yeah you can delay the age of, of, uh, of the draft, but yeah. What are the kids gonna do? Not the kid. What are the eighteen-year-olds gonna do? Not play pro hockey yeah, for another exactly, four yeah. years? Like yeah. that's yeah, it's so tough. It's, it's tough. Yeah. So some of them like, and that's what they get that early exceptions and those kind of things. But yeah. yeah. For the NHL draft, it's tough. And yeah. Um. At, at that point, anyways, the draft is uh, they're then they're focused on developing. And they're trying to pick who to develop. So, mm-hmm. um. But yeah, no, I, I'm, that's it's good research to do because it's a very very uh complicated field and not yeah, necessarily is. that well understood mm-hmm. <laughs> so but, well doing the stats for that is not easy <laughs> yeah yeah you're telling me yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a big job but so after after your career in the um in junior hockey and all that what got you into sports psychology like why did you pick this as opposed to like strength and conditioning or, or something like that yeah that? so i started um one of my first real jobs i don't even know if it was a real job was when i was like 19 and i was coming home after another season of junior hockey my parents like you need to get a job and mm-hmm. i was like what like, you're <laughs> like mom i'm gonna be in the show <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly about? <laughs> yeah, what I'm talking about. i think that was becoming to start to be off the table by that point and um like you should probably get a job and my one job was being a bouncer at a club or like a, in north bay so like the, the moose is called oh it's not really a club that sounds it's so like, gritty yeah it's it's a gritty yeah Every can you club. smoke indoors uh, you're probably used to. It. I don't think you can anymore. Yeah, it sounds but like a bar you can. Yeah, smoke it's <laughs> it's pretty great. Really good wings though. Oh, nice. Um, so it's kind of like a bar. So I did that, like obviously part time. That was kind of funny. But then I, but then I started a hockey school called CHT Complete mm-hmm. Hockey Training, which from at that point I was still I was already interested in the mental side of the game because of my own experience and like and and how impactful I was finding it for myself, mm-hmm. even though I was still struggling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with it at times. And, uh, and so we would do on ice, off ice and, um, sports psych with the kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, and we wanted to give them everything that we could. Right. So I did do that from the get go. And eventually then that took into more just on ice cause on ice was easier to kind of sell. So, but I've spent, I've done a lot of off ice training, like being a strength and conditioning coach for hockey players mm-hmm. and, and athletes, obviously a lot of on ice coaching, but the one I find the most impactful and meaningful for me is the mental side mm-hmm. and that's the one i find a lot of people don't understand yeah um i didn't understand it took me a while to kind of get decent at it and it's right. something we all always have to work on with managing emotions and understanding what i always do this kind of analogy where it's like these mental skills that we can't see but they're real and yeah. whereas our physical and technical skills we can see and they're mm-hmm. much more tangible and easier to notice than when you work on and so maybe it's because i like the challenge but that's why i attracted to it as well and mm-hmm. uh, it was it was big for me and and then as i worked through it and i worked with some athletes i've been doing it for a long time part-time and now only full-time for a little bit um but I, even the athletes when i was doing it part-time seeing their transformation seeing them be able to understand what these non-tangible mental skills are and then the them improve their quality of life and mm-hmm. their enjoyment of the sport and their performance is like, wow, this is fun. So right. that's kind of what I, uh, the kind of the reasoning why I got into it. So one thing, one big thing you work with your athletes on is confidence. Obviously it's, yeah. it's pretty big. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in one of your, um, the videos you do on yeah. social media is that 
if we want to understand how to be confident, we have to first understand what doubt is. Yeah. What's the relationship between the two there? Like, is yeah, one the sure. opposite of the other or? Uh, no. So I would say, um, so one of the, to me, the biggest misunderstanding about confidence is that we want a high level of confidence, mm-hmm. right? Which is, oh, okay, sure. We want it to be high, but mm-hmm. how high? Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's not necessarily about being high. It's about being accurate you want to have an accurate level of self-confidence and because it's like you're going to a game as a hockey player it's like yeah well, i'm going to score five goals today well, that's mm-hmm. a really high level of self-confidence but right. that's not accurate so that's where doubt comes from mm-hmm. and so um anytime you have doubt it means you have an inflated expectation and so um so you haven't managed your expectations and so uh doubt is just a form of feedback that it's like and same with if you're getting anxious or fearful mm-hmm. or worried um, or you're frustrated, it's, o- it's often because there's um, your expectations and, and this doubt and um, self-talk that's going on in the back of your head mm-hmm. is not equilibrated. It's not aligned. And right. so we want to have that an aligned, um, and I call, I say self-image, you want an accurate self-image right. is what it means to be confident and right. highly confident in who you are, you know, who you are versus um, being just, oh, I think I'm the best. Right. Like that's not what self-confidence is. So, and that's probably the biggest misunderstanding. And that's why understanding what doubt is and where it comes from gets you to better understand what it means to be self-confident. So, so the key, yeah. like, would you say the key to being confident is to manage your expectations first? Yeah, that's a, a big part of it for sure. Yeah. yeah, it's if you have skewed expectations one way or the other, mm-hmm. um, then you're not going to have an accurate self-image, and right. so, therefore you're gonna you'll have ups and downs in confidence, mm-hmm. or you'll be constantly down. Right. One of the other big things with confidence um, is people have or might have a consistently negatively skewed self-image. Uh, is very common, especially as athletes get older. A lot of them will, because one of the ways you get better as an athlete is being hard on yourself. But mm-hmm. if you're constantly just being hard on yourself, then all you're focusing on is I got to be better, got to be better. Well, then what happens to your um, self-image? Well, it becomes negatively skewed. You're not owning the things you're doing well and you're not positive reinforcing. So the way you self-reflect and um, you know talk to yourself is it's constantly be better and you're being hard on yourself. You're going to eventually have a negatively skewed self-image. Yeah. And, uh, and so you'll be a great athlete, but your headspace will be, will be up and down a right. lot, right? Um, and also outcome focus uh, plays mm-hmm. into that too. So uh, they're, they're, it's not an easy concept, but it's definitely an um, important concept because it, it's really one of the root mental skills to winning the inner game and mm-hmm. understanding your mindset. So, Well, I would assume that most people who would seek help in this department or have lower confidence that want to bring it up. Do you ever have someone who's just like so full of themselves? You're like, dude, you, you got to have some realistic. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. So again, when they, if they feel like they have some doubt and they're lacking confidence, mm-hmm. it's because they do have some type of a belief that they should be perfect or that. So there's, again, you kind of can't have one without the other. So they, they'll often be cyclical and be like, oh, I'm super amazing. And then now I'm right. awful. And right. so, um, but yeah, we, it's, yeah, generally they're lacking or it's generally they have a negatively skewed, um, or that goes in the ups and the downs. Mm-hmm. Uh, not too often someone, I'll have some people come in and it's like confidence isn't their main, main thing. Like they they know who they are as a, mm-hmm. as a as an athlete and they're not too hard on themselves, but maybe they really struggle with dealing with their emotions and some of the other uh, main um, or get really worried or um, right. and anxious about things, which again, and come back to expectations. Mm-hmm. But now it might be less about how they see themselves and more just about uh, performance situation mm-hmm. or dealing with a tough situation. So uh, all these skills are overlap, but some yeah, confidence is often a, one of the 
most important starting points. One. Well, it's tough to talk about like confidence and, and doubt and all that without mentioning negative thoughts, fear mm-hmm. of failure, because yeah. I think yeah. both those areas are so interconnected, if, if not the same, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering, like, how do you deal with, or how do you advise your clients to deal with negative thoughts? Because there's more than one way. There's like yeah. <clears throat> thought stopping. There's yeah. uh, mm-hmm. mindfulness. There's a yeah. bunch of different ways. What do you... Yeah, so my... Um, it's not necessarily about stopping them and more so about being able to deal with them and be aware of them. Yeah. And a lot of the time they're not even aware of it and they're aware of it maybe after they don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, again, I would go back to managing expectations. So it's, if you're having negative self-talk or doubts, that means that means something. What does it mean? That usually means you have an inflated expectation. Um, and it's like, oh, I don't think I can do it. Well, why you think you should be perfect? Like, mm-hmm. um, there's like, uh, the, this is so important. If I lose, everything's over. Is that true? And so, um, it's, I often go to the negative self-talk and let's learn and understand what that actually is. Right. And what does that mean is saying about, uh, mm-hmm. and what kind of concepts are misaligned mm-hmm. and it's, and usually, so that would be kind of the first way to deal with it. Um, because one thing that I don't really teach, which is then, and you know kind of aligns with this is um you know it's like we don't want negative self-talk that means we all we want is positive self-talk yeah um and i don't really teach positive self-talk because uh what i would teach is accurate self-talk and in fact you don't want to be talking anyways while you're playing like you want to just be doing and feeling so um but you want to have affirmations that are accurate affirmations Mm -hmm. right or that would be positive self-talk um that are accurate and people will have if and then it's like um this whole positive thinking movement mm-hmm. that's huge uh highly problematic because like uh you want to be bipolar then try and be positive all the time and eventually you'll crash and you'll get really right. upset um but the but the concept out of that is um if you're just seeing all oh, super positive self-talk i'm the best i'm like well again that's those are inflated expectations that aren't balanced they're not aligned mm-hmm. with what it takes to be um, that it's like, you know, I'm one of the best athletes because I do this. this that's mm-hmm. a uh, affirmation that's accurate. Um, and I've done all this work. So that would be an accurate affirmation, which some people would call positive. But I kind of s- try to steer clear of the words positive, negative, because then it's just like, um, you're getting caught up in this. Yeah, they're getting caught up in your head. Yeah. And it's a judgment. And which is like, you want to be able to embrace the feelings and emotions and yeah. concepts. Um, and I use the, uh, the pink elephant bubble analogy um, as a way to deal with like emotions and distractions and thoughts or that negative self-talk there. Mm-hmm. If you think of your focus and awareness as a bubble and you're living in this bubble, we don't want all these distractions coming in. Mm-hmm. And I call distractions and emotions pink elephants because uh, if I say don't think of a pink elephant, you think of a pink elephant. And uh, so we don't want to focus on it. So, but the best way not to focus on this pink elephant that's in our bubble is actually to go to it and embrace it and understand it so we can move it outside. Right. But most people try to avoid it and stop thinking of mm-hmm. it, which is only making it worse. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, so that's that whole emotional regulation piece and, uh, or the fear of failure, um, or negative self-talk or over the outcome focus is these are all just distraction things coming inside of your awareness and focus. And you have to be aware and learn to deal with them instead of like, oh yeah, just be positive all the time or just talk positively to yourself. Like, you know, stop thinking negative. Like, yeah. I don't think that really works. You might be able to do it for a bit. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, now it's not working. <laughs> I find up. like, I, I yeah. honestly find it so yeah. flabbergasting when I, when I look yeah. at um, 
<clears throat> sports psychology, um, you know, websites or, or seminars or whatever it is mm. that, that promote mm. uh, positive thinking because mm. I feel like all that's getting get you is to to fight in your own head yeah. against the, like you know if yeah. I'm playing and I'm on yeah. a breakaway and my yeah. mind says you're gonna yeah. f this up like yeah. you suck <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna stop be like no no I'm not I'm good blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. like yeah it's, I feel it's, like a mindfulness based approach yeah. where you're aware of the thought but then you put yeah. it like you say put it on the side but focus on what's going on in front of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what that's what you, you, no, you for should be sure. training your athletes on. Yeah, and and then the idea is if you keep having that thought, well, what is it? Why are you having that thought? And mm-hmm. being able, to, you can dissolve charges, right? And that's the idea. You, there's a charge around it. There's an expectation around it. Mm-hmm. And so if you can learn to actually understand it, then you're not going to have that doubt because you're like, mm-hmm. well, you know what? I'm only a 20% guy that scores on breakaways. Right. There's a 20% chance, <clears throat> but I can accept there's an 80% chance I'm going to miss. <laughs> like, right. Which is your like, there might be a disassociation mm-hmm. there. So, um, and the, so if you learn to deal with that and manage those expectations in advance, then when you get there, you can just stay in the moment. And, you know, if the, so it's a lot, um, easier to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the, uh, the just be positive, um, stuff is, uh, not aligned with what, like the really good research highlight, like Ger- Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. It's not, it's growth mindset versus fixed mindset, not positive thinking versus negative thinking. Mm-hmm. And obviously like I've done a lot of work within her work and that's a lot of obviously what I do in teaching with mindsets related mm-hmm. to Carol Dweck. Um, and it's fantastic work. I often don't even um, use the words growth and fixed anymore because as soon as I try to teach people that, they go, oh, positive is negative. <laughs> I'm like, right. no, no, it's not about, because like you can be in a, negative situation like you're down you've made some some mistakes um and you're not just going to be positive about it you're going to have a growth mindset about it which is like okay i can learn from this i'm human i make mistakes you're accepting um and you know what's my plan moving forward how can i learn um that's a growth mindset but most people don't understand that mm-hmm. concept is oh you mean just be positive no like you're in a tough situation you're mm-hmm. not gonna be like oh i love making all these mistakes like right um or vice versa you can be in a positive situation you just got a hat trick you're, you're doing well and you can be like look how good i am i'm the best mm-hmm. well now that's a fixed mindset and so you can be in a fixed mindset in a positive situation um you can also be in a fixed mindset in a negative situation which you don't want which is like oh i suck and i'm the worst right yeah yeah. um but that's what we don't want we want a growth mindset which is focusing on the learning the growing what it's and it's a more balanced understanding of the expectations and reality Mm -hmm. so the con the research behind growth mindsets fantastic applying it is so hard though and uh, and that's what you like it's big in um the schools right now uh, getting kids to adopt a growth mindset about math or English and French mm-hmm. and uh, trying to get your athletes to adopt a growth mindset. It's not easy. Like you teach the the concept and a lot of people will struggle with it still. And they just think positive, negative all the time right. instead of uh, learning to embrace. And that's why I use different analogies and reset routine and mm-hmm. some different things to learn to embrace struggle and, and failure, which are then developing a growth focused mindset. Um, so yeah, that would be kind of my feedback on this whole positive yeah. self-talk, negative self-talk. But it's also, so you talk about the growth and, and the fixed mindset. It's also tricky because, um, in a lot of ways that we teach, uh, children in schools, mm-hmm. uh, how we teach them growth mindset is that, look, like your intelligence is not fixed. Mm-hmm. You can grow it if you try. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. No, the, 
uh, the tricky thing in that is to get them to understand that no, it's not only about effort. Yeah, it doesn't mean like if only if you apply effort, mm-hmm. you'll become more intelligent. It's also about wh- like the quality of the work that you're putting in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because then they might start putting in effort and more effort, and then see yeah. there's no positive results, and yeah. be like, oh well, I am actually done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's no, it's like you're not yeah. putting in the right amount yeah. of work, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. And one of the um, things that I find are very um, connected is effort. Um, attention um, and like energy um, or intensity and so uh, like so I do this with a lot of our athletes it's like did I give my best effort today or intention or attitude is the other big one and so it's mm-hmm. like you know are you making the most out of your situation and um, and so it's did I do my best versus like you know I'm gonna work hard but not really be focused it's, those don't really go hand in hand like mm-hmm. you, you can't like oh I'm gonna work hard but like be like this like or I'm gonna work on this math problem um but not be engaged like I'm working you're hard out, yeah. you're just checked out so like that engagement attitude attention and effort are all mm-hmm. kind of lumped in and again they're kind of like not so tangible aspects and one of the best ways to improve at that though is getting athletes or students to self-reflect on how hard they worked and what intention they put their engagement level um and so they can become aware i'm not actually that engaged right now <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and then they can self-regulate um but yeah that's that they're those are all kind of like different concepts that are highly um uh people will pick one at a time but i just group them all together and then it's just yeah. use the words that maybe relate best to the mm-hmm. person or their situation i love telling the stories of um, like an, uh, an athlete or, or even a student and they go to a class and it's like, oh, French class. Oh, I, why do I got to do this? Math. Oh, well, I'm just going to use a calculator. Why would I ever need to take math class? Mm. Right. Which is what that bad attitude kind of thing. So then they're disengaged. They don't work as hard. Their attention is not strong. Uh, so again, that's all related. Um, and you see athletes that will do this. It's like, oh, bag skate. Like, oh, we got to do this workout, all mm. this drill. Oh, we have to play that team. All like, And they resent and they disengage. And so that's an attitude of not making the most out of it. So I use the school analogy because like, I don't expect you to go to French class. If you don't like French class, it's not your favorite to be like, oh, I love French class. This is the best, yeah. right? <laughs> that's not what I want. Like, that's not what a good attitude means. Mm. A good attitude means making the most out of it. Hey, I know I don't really like French. I'm not that great at French, but I'm going to give my best at it or math or whatever it is. And so it's the mm-hmm. same with working out or doing a certain drill. And those I often then would call it like it's a mental rep. It's a mental rep. It's like, if anything, it's getting the habit of having the right uh, attitude. Mm-hmm. And it's like how you do anything then becomes how you do everything. Because if you're complaining, whining and getting disengaged at math class, you're probably doing it out on the field somewhere or in, in mm-hmm. your sport or in other areas of your life. Yeah. And so, and so it's all about, again, self-awareness and be able to self-regulate. Um, but then we ask them to do reflection questions on that, but the, that kind of, again, linking in engagement, attitude, effort, attention, um, which is then developing a growth mindset. Hey, I, I can learn this. I can make the most out of it. Um, but it's an ongoing thing. And yeah. like, and my wife's a teacher and it's funny. I didn't like French and I married a French teacher. So the <laughs> talk about karma, but the, uh, <laughs> Um, so, but the, and like for teachers, it's hard, like even for a coach, it's hard to develop growth mindsets because you really have to get them reflecting and engaging Mm -hmm. and modeling it. Um, and it's hard. So our culture, I think is really struggling with this whole growth Mm -hmm. mind and our culture is so outcome focused, right? What grades did you get? Like, it's like, you know, who did better? You know, who has more likes on Instagram? It's like, do we win? Do we lose? It's so outcome focused and that's not teaching a growth mindset. Um, so Again, it's that that's a good core 
That's true. Focus, we are but, so focused yeah. on outcomes and not enough on the process. I don't. I don't think it's only a cultural problem. Like mm-hmm. <clears throat> in here, like I, I'm not sure if there's a culture out there that that is so focused on the process and not the outcome. I feel like that's maybe that's us as humans. Yeah, uh, a little bit. I think there are some. I don't know them that well, but because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm mostly in here. But I know like some. Um, yeah, I, I I can't comment with accuracy on that, but I know like like a good example, like some of the like I use the samurai example a lot for explaining. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard that story, um, but I use them a lot as um, an example of letting go of the fear of failure. And um, and but like so some of those cultures where they were really big into it because meditation has been around forever. Mm-hmm. It's only become popularized and still only not that many people mm-hmm. probably are doing it. Um, because all the benefits of self-awareness, but it's been around forever and people have understood a lot of these basic concepts. And then I think, especially as social media is built, it's only ramped up even more outcome focused. Like if you think back to even 50 years ago where there's barely TV or internet and like, you can't like message people and all this, well, they just focused on doing their job because that's all they could focus on. Right. I'm going to go plow the fields or I'm going to go do my job because that's all I can do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know what everybody else is doing. <laughs> I'm just going to do my job. Where now it's like, oh, we can watch everybody else, what they're doing. Well, we see it on the highlights. It gets amplified. There's, It's glorified in this. So, um, but, so there's that. But then I'll go back to the samurai story, which is um, they're obviously great warriors. And so what they focus on every day, the process of becoming a great warrior, they trained hard. They're mindful. and But they did something really unique, though, before they went to war. Um, they would say goodbye to their families as if they might not come home. So they accepted the possibility that they might die. Mm-hmm. And which is like, oh, that's crazy. But guess what? Well, because they did that, then while they're fighting, they're fearless. They're not, oh, I'm so afraid to die. Right? They're they're in the moment and fearless because they've accepted that possibility. Obviously, I don't want to die. But if they go there like, I can't die, I'm not allowed to die, well, then they're going to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, again, that's the idea of an inflated expectation that I shouldn't die, I should be perfect. No, they, they've they been to war for years and they see that mm-hmm. not everybody always comes home. They understand they might not come home. Yeah. So they accept that and they're allowed to be fearless. How does that apply to athletes or other people? Well, it's not about, oh, oh, thankfully, it's not about dying and living. It's about um, winning and losing, making mm-hmm. mistakes or not making mistakes. And people get afraid and anxious about winning and losing because they don't accept the possibility that they could lose or they might die and they think they should be perfect and and so forth. And so, um, but it goes to a culture that's focused on the process and managing expectations and not having this judgment. Again, I've never met them. So yeah. then <laughs> and again, I only know one culture, so I can't yeah, speak. Yeah, on yeah I can't culture. quite speak to it. Like yeah. I've been in Sweden and trained in Sweden when I was like 14, 15. And I would say that was more process focused. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my dissertation and my PhD was focused on uh, development models and I know Sweden and USA hockey is doing a better job, but um, Sweden hockey, very development model. It's not like they don't pick teams. They don't have AAA for nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds. They just, everyone plays. They all get quality development. Um, because of that, kids aren't so anxious. Mm-hmm. Whereas our kids are anxious. So it's like getting cut. They're winning. They're losing. They're standings. Mm-hmm. So um, there are other cultures that do it differently than us. And you'll see some differences because mm-hmm. of it. Um, my favorite example of that is Iceland soccer where they don't cut kids till they're 20. And Iceland, if you know anything about Iceland, it is a lot smaller than everybody else at the World Cup. But they compete at the World Cup because they have a Mm development-focused program. 
Um, the whereas, fact that even qualify on its own is a big achievement. Like that, yeah, yeah, that exactly, speaks yeah. to their Yeah, that speaks, that's huge, right? Yeah. And they're like, I think the next smallest country is 50 times bigger like, wow. in population. Yeah. Like it's like, but they can compete because mm-hmm. they've created a culture around development. Mm-hmm. And that's automatically, they're going to be less nervous about it because they've been focused on growth and not about performing um, and outcomes the whole time. Yeah, they might have other things still with Instagram and school, but not, I don't know the culture. Again, I've never been to Iceland, mm-hmm. so I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah. but I know about that program. So, um, so yeah, there is, it's definitely a human thing to want to be a part of a group. And when the group then is focused on outcomes, mm-hmm. well, then we all then relate and go to outcomes. So, so going back to your <clears throat> thing about losing and winning, um, it's like as hard as accepting is mm-hmm. and acceptance of, of losses and all that, it's mm-hmm. very hard. But as hard as that is, it's a hell of a lot easier than mm-hmm. being so hard on yourself after a loss yeah. until your next game. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's even harder if you lose the next game too because then, yeah, well, yeah. that's a nightmare. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I always say it's always like <clears throat> the one of the main reasons people have a hard time accepting it is because it feels unacceptable. Mm-hmm. This is unacceptable. And like and very common ones are the perfectionist related ones. Oh, I can't believe I made that mistake. That little mistake. That's unacceptable for me to make that mistake. Coaches reinforce it. That's an unacceptable mistake. So that's which is what they're saying is like we don't want to make those mistakes and really limit them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then how it gets interpreted by athletes is that's unacceptable. I can't accept it. Well, then if you can't accept it, then you're not going to move past it. Yeah. Right. Um, the other funny line I always say is like oh, I can't believe I can't believe I did that. Well, you better believe it because it happened. <laughs> and like yeah. if you can't believe it, you can't move past it. And, and the, the most important thing to understand about the word acceptance, cause that's huge to managing emotions is that it is not some skill that like one person's better at than another. Mm-hmm. What it is, it's a choice and it's a willingness. Am I willing to accept this? Now, currently I'm not willing to, it feels unacceptable. Okay. Being aware whatever it was that's unacceptable and then give yourself the choice. And when you are self-aware, you now have choices. I can accept it or I can't my choice. It's mm-hmm. not gonna be easy. And then I like to throw in uh, things that help it be more willing to accept it, which is you're human, therefore you make mistakes. And just like the best athletes in the world make mistakes. And so that kind of context, like, okay, maybe I can't accept this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, I'm not happy about it, but I can accept it and I accept that I'm human and that I can learn from it. Mm-hmm. And there's a growth mindset, right? So, um, and that, now we've let go of that pink elephant and we're back and focused versus like, don't think about it. Oh, just, oh, I can't believe I made the mistake. Not accept it. Well, it's just going to stay with you whether that's from one play to the next or from one game to the next mm-hmm. and so forth. And then you're going to be anxious about making the next one. And that becomes the downward spiral. So yeah, that's my, uh, my take on, on that. I find the same thing uh, applies to like even everyday life where if you have like some, some negative thought in your head, mm-hmm. um, like if you keep battling it, like good luck getting rid of it, you, yeah. you, you will never get rid of it because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you keep reinforcing it in yeah. your mind, making it yeah. bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, but simply just accepting that yeah. sometimes uh, shit happens or, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. sometimes things suck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, life like, doesn't always go the way you want it to go. No. Like, it would be nice if it did. Most of the time it doesn't. <laughs> Most of the time yeah. it doesn't. It's, it's, it's adapting. And, yeah. and again, it's uh, some of the good work. I love uh, some of Brene Brown's work on vulnerability um, and so which deals with acceptance indirectly. And, um, and it's like. Uh, you know, the story I'm telling myself is this. And it's like, it's like what's narrative do you have running? Um, and often if you're, and it definitely applies to life. Like, it's like, we all have doubts within our own lives. And like, as academics or students or careers, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, is this going to work? Like, I had a lot of doubt early on going out by myself as a, um, a consultant and doing the, the work I'm doing now. It's like, oh, will anybody, like, 
hire me? <laughs> will, yeah. will I ever work with any athletes? Um, what if it's, you know, I can't make ends meet? And um, is this really a good career move? And um, it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe it won't be, but I'm going to try. And, um, and it's like, I know if I do these things, then I have a chance. Mm. And like, and then so I go after it. But it's, um, people think that has to be all or nothing or, um, but when you have those doubts, that's just a sign that you have some kind of inflated expectation of how things should go. And if it doesn't go that way, it's a failure and there's all kinds of things. Mm. So, um, it's managing those thoughts and understanding where they're coming from. And then you can learn to deal with them, um, and move past them so that they're not like weighing you down and you're doubting yourself all the time. So, mm. Um, there's definitely ways to do that. So what about like mid game or like, for mm -hmm. example, my, fr my friend was asking me this question. He wanted me to, to bring it up to you. Yeah. Like he's a big golfer, right? Yeah. And let's say you're, you're chasing like a sub 70 number, right? Yeah, and you're yeah. on pace and yeah. things are going well. Yeah. How do you prevent yourself from getting like all caught up in the moment and so excited and yeah. like, keep level headed? Yeah, you know for exactly. I mean? like, yeah. Now we're talking about when things are going really yeah. good. It's like, yeah. oh, this is too good to be true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and that's very common. Well, First of all, too good to be true is uh, I, would, I would take that out of uh, your your uh, vocabulary yeah. because that's that's just gonna you're gonna self sabotage. These were my words, not his. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah. the um, but people say that I've had athletes say this. Like, I don't wouldn't encourage you to repeat, keep using those words. Mm. Um, but the idea is when uh, things are going well, and like uh, Sergio Garcia is a good example where he's had leads and then blew them, and then he's worked on his mental game and started accepting things. But it's like you get that, again, inflated expectation, which is like, oh, I should win now or I need to win or I could. And then you become outcome focused, which is a pink elephant in and of itself. It is a distraction. And so, you know, your odds of maybe getting your score are up, but it's not a guarantee yet. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Like until mm -hmm. you've put me you on know, made the last putt, like <laughs> there, there's still a chance you can make some mistakes here. And um, it's like so a very common one, like let's say for use the golf analogy, you're um, you're about to break 70 and there's two holes left and you just need to, um, you know, you can get one bogey on the last two holes. Right. And you're in that kind of a situation. It's like, so this is pretty good. I par out. And, and even if I make one mistake, I got bogey, I'm shooting 69. I'm breaking my 70 or, you know, mm. that's a pretty good golfer. But you know, for me, it may be breaking like 85 yeah. or whatever. Um, but, uh, and for, for whatever golfer I work in one of the pro golfers I'm working with, he's like shoots in like the low 60s. So it's like, yeah, but that's one thing doing that and mm -hmm. another thing doing it mm -hmm. when you're <laughs> competing. But the so you're on you're in that situation and then so your mind goes like I should break 70. Keyword should, expectation, should break 70. What, like hundred percent you should break it? Like you you've never double bogeyed a hole before? I'm like, mm. you know, oh, no, there's still a chance. The, the odds of you get breaking 70 are pretty good now. They've gone up a bit, but it's not hundred percent. And as soon as you, so you manage this, oh, I should be good. Um, or this is really common. Like you, like, you're like way under like minus five on the front. You're like, holy shit, I'm in a good spot to be, get my you know, best score ever. Then what happens? You collapse because you just brought in pink elephants and expectations uh, and distractions. And if you're focused on your score while you're swinging, you're not focused on where you want to put the ball. And, um, you're focusing on the outcome when yeah. you should be focusing on yeah. the on the process. Yeah. yeah. No, well, not even technique. Mm -hmm. So yeah, as a golf, as an example, you're focused on the process, which is, and what you can control is where do you want to put the ball mm. one shot at a time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of an outcome, but it's like an outcome within your control. I want to, you know, do this and put the ball there. And you, like in golf, as an example, it's like you hold your intention of where you want your shot to go. Mm -hmm. But the, um, but yeah, you allow those kind of like when things are going well, and that's a fixed mindset, right? Uh, as an example, things are going well, you're being positive. I should do it. But then there's all this doubt and anxiety coming in. 
Well, why? Because it's inflated. Mm-hmm. And you're not managing the expectations. Um, and my favorite example to really downbreak uh, or break down this process versus outcome, which is you're becoming outcome focused uh, when you succeed often. Um, and that can then that brings in problems often. And what I encourage for athletes is like, okay, while you're playing, are you focused on the things you control? Like just one shot at a time, you know, making the play, mm-hmm. you know, checking your guy or, you know, reading, making executive decisions as a golfer, whatever it is. Those are things that are fully within your control that you do mm-hmm. that lead to the outcomes you achieve. But a lot of us, while we're playing sport, get caught up in thinking about the outcomes. Like, what's the score? What am I going to shoot? Um, or, you know, how many points do I have? What's my playing time? What Am I on the power play? What's the score of the game? Like, am I going to win? Going to lose? Mm. And we got really caught up in these outcomes and comparing ourselves to others, which are the results of how we play. Now, so you're going to think a bit about both, mostly because we're human. Um, and it's saying, sure, these matter. But obviously, these are more important. And this leads to that. And, but it's a good self-assessment to go, okay, well, while I'm playing, how much of the time I focused on just what I can control versus how much of the time I focused on the score outcomes and comparisons. And a lot of athletes would be like 40, 50, 60% process. And then the opposite, the Mm -hmm. reciprocal outcome. And, um, but what we want it to be is nine, at least I say 90, at least 90% process focused. And sometimes you might be process focused, like, okay, I want to make the shot to go there because I want to win and break 60, 70, right? Mm. Or whatever, get 69. Well, that's more so outcome focused. You're thinking about the process, but then you go jump to outcomes. No, we want to let go of that outcome and just be fully in the moment in the process. And that's a mental skill and habit. That's what I say 90%. You can be aware of the score sometimes, let it go, come back to the process. Oh, wow, I am doing well. I, I I might break 70 today. Accept that I might not and, and let it go and I'm going to come back to the present. And so when you're doing that, you're spending the majority of the round, 90% in the present. And I, and I use golf as an example, but any sport, sometimes we're so in the moment, we're not aware of the outcome, right? Mm-hmm. We don't even know what the score is. I've had the games where I don't even know how many points I had. And somebody had to come tell me how many points I had that game because I was just playing. It's like a golfer plays and somebody else is keeping score. He has no idea. I'm not even sure what I shot today. And especially if you're a good golfer, that's harder because it's, you know, par, 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 birdie. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easy to count. But you're rarely aware of what your scores and the outcomes and the achievements. And you're just so in the moment, one shot at a time. In. And so at the end of the game, someone's got to come and tell you. Mm-hmm. So you were literally pretty much 100% process that day. That's when you play your best. It's probably somewhat unrealistic to be 100% process focused all the time. So I give, that's why I always give a little wiggle room. Right. Um, but it's majority of the time you want to be process focused and that's the concept so that we're mm. maybe aware of the score because in a lot of sports you need to be somewhat aware and you might slightly adjust your gameplay based on it. Like in hockey, you want to pull the goalie or not or <laughs> like those kind of things. Yeah. Um, uh, so there are some importances to be aware of some outcomes, but like as a hockey player, it's like, I've got one or two goals there, points or no point. It doesn't matter how many points you have. What am I going to do in the next shift? Right. right. So like, you know, guys counting their points or anything, that's, that's completely mm-hmm. irrelevant. Right. So, um, and in golf, it's generally not relevant to tell near the end or like on the last day, it's like, okay, well, I got to play extra aggressive, but even then, like how much extra aggressive are you really going to play? Uh, and I was just talking to the, the pro guy this week and he's like, okay, if I'm leading, um, I'm going to play really passive. I'm like, how passive? Like, you're not going to, like, if you're playing well, like, you're going to, like, intentionally go for, like, bogeys? <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> no, you're not. Like, right. Don't do that. <laughs> um, if you're playing well, like, so, um, you know, keep the foot on. Like, you know, be mm-hmm. smart. Maybe be a little more smart than usual. But, yeah, so that's a, a really good anal- a way to kind of self-assess 
know, am I getting outcome focused? And so clearly he's getting outcome focused. How do we deal with that pressure? Well, one, you have to accept and let go like the samurai. There's still a chance. It might be a small chance. You might blow it, Mm. but you still have to accept that you could be, you know, all you have to do is bogey the last hole and you could still blow it. (laughs) You know what I mean? You could, Mm -hmm. if you can't accept that possibility, then you're going to be worried about it. It's like, I should, I need to like, no, you want to, there's a difference. And, um, so understanding that would be kind of my uh, my. That's a good question, though. That relates to uh, an, another question from from the same guy, Josh. Okay, yeah. yeah, Josh is just yeah. feeding you questions. Yeah, today. awesome. Way uh, to go, Josh. <laughs> but he was he was saying like, how do you? I think you just hit on this. It's like, how do you manage your aggression when uh, when you want to be aggressive? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about like anger, yeah, like yeah. Ag- in, the, in your gameplay. Yeah. How do you manage? Um, being your aggressiveness while also maintaining your composure yeah composure like yeah. staying smart but also being aggressive yeah no great question so um this is when we when we talk about setting intentions and coming back to after you manage your emotions like step one in the mental game deal with pink elephants manage your emotions and sometimes those get you too aroused right and you're mm. too intense mm-hmm. or sometimes you're for whatever reason not intense enough um, but then when you, so when you go to play or a golfer going to hit a shot, he needs to know at what intensity he wants to be at. Right. And so that's just the arousal, um, the inverted you more or less. And most athletes are somewhere between six and eight. 10 is like, right. Like, right, and right, you're right. like going crazy tense and one is you're asleep. Mm-hmm. So it's usually somewhere between six and eight. And, um, and so I forgot what exactly was the question again. <laughs> like how do you, how do you uh, stay aggressive in your okay, gameplay? Okay, yeah, so but balancing also, it. Yeah. yeah. So one is first figuring out what is your optimal arousal level, right? So like most people, it's a seven. Or and I'll use uh, for golf because he's a golfer. It's uh, I have some guys. It's eight while they're striking the ball. Mm-hmm. Once they're doing short game putting, it goes to six because they they need actually different arousal levels. Right. Because it's like putting is way more smooth and slower mm. and. Um, so, but while striking the ball, you have to strike it hard. Like, it's, a, yeah. it's not like you're swinging slow. It's yeah, like, yeah. Um, and they want to uh, be assertive and aggressive. Um, the other concept. So one is like figuring out that and knowing what that feels like. The number isn't as important as like, what is, how do I, how do I feel on playing at my best? It's not mm. a 10. It's not a one. It's somewhere between six and eight. And it might vary depending on a few different situations. So golf's a good example. Where there's probably a couple different numbers. Mm. Um, most sports, like for me, I think it was seven and a half, eight for when I was playing hockey. Like I'm at seven and a half, eight, like, and the goalies as an example, when the puck's in my zone, it's a seven or eight. When the puck goes the other zone, I'm going to relax for a bit. Golf is another example. When you're not shooting and you're not in your pre-shot routine, relax. <laughs> Don't be at an eight the whole game. Right. <laughs> um, so there's, that's understanding arousal level and your optimal level. And then knowing what that feels like, mm. um, and, uh, and having confidence in there and learning. But if you don't manage the pink elephants and emotions, then it's, and you use, can use breathing to get the nine down to your eight, mm. or you can get, okay, I want to get up to from a six to an eight. I was working another golfer, one of the guys at York. Um, and it was like, oh, I'm too low. I actually got to get myself, I'm kind of getting just too checked out right now. Yeah. I got to get amped up on some shots. And um, and so like, so there, there's that aspect. But the in terms of assertiveness or aggressiveness and composure, um, the thing I like to use is um, the word assertive, right? Mm-hmm. So aggressive actually means intent to harm. So, but it, people use it all the time. Be aggressive. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, whereas you actually use mean the word assertive. So that's right. the first distinction because um, especially in like a contact sport, like, yeah, I want to play more aggressive. So that means you want to have more intent to harm. <clears throat> headshots? No, yeah, headshots. Yeah. No, you don't actually. Mm. Like that's usually going to backfire eventually. Right. So um, especially as rules can keep you know going up too. Um, back when I played, we were pretty aggressive. Uh, <laughs> elbows up. It was elbows up. Yeah. I was told to get over 100 penalty minutes my draft year. And I had some you of my- You were told to have more penalty yeah, minutes? Yeah, to have 100 penalty minutes. Shows I was tough and, and not afraid to play play with an edge. Jesus so, Christ. so I did also your <laughs> and I got a little crazy. So. Yeah. Taking a lot of penalties. That's yeah. Good. So I was uh, definitely aggressive. So I eventually, it was a good distinction for me, but a lot of kids don't want to be aggressive because they want to be nice kids. So no, this is not about hurting people. This is about playing assertive and playing, mm -hmm. I call it like playing on the line. Mm -hmm. Um, but so there's understanding that is, and that's especially really important playing on the edge. Uh, is an important concept for aggressively um, contact sports. Mm. But, and then going back to golf though, it's like playing aggressive, yet playing composed. Again, it's just like, well, sometimes you might play well at like a nine, but eventually it's like, you're going to be too aggressive and then you're just like overcompensating and you're going too hard, right? Mm. And then again, like being too relaxed and composed, uh, then you're just like on, like then you're going to miss balls and you're right. another problem. And that's again, the optimal arousal is, mm not too high and not too low. So you have to find out what it is for you. And, um, and then, and then, but then it becomes getting clear on coming back to it, coming down to that. If you get too ramped up and if you're too low, get yourself up. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's like, how do you find the balance? Well, that's, you have to identify what your, I, the easiest thing is to identify what your number is first. And then it's like, what does that feel like? And then replicate that use imagery is a great way to replicate that. Mm -hmm. One of the things people don't do in imagery is evoke emotion. Mm -hmm. and evoke the intensity feeling or arousal level it's one of the most important things you could do mm -hmm. um so getting in tune with that is helpful yeah. and just like and their whole and as a golfer i'd have their whole pre-shot routine um that like is usually like uh, about 10 seconds like once they've lined up the ball they're walking up you're at an eight the whole time eyeing down your target it's you're at an intensity level again it could be lower it's generally not higher than eight but um that that 10 seconds of your pre-shot and, and then your shot is at an eight mm -hmm. right so get dialed in be like that's part of your routine set that intention have that level of intensity um yeah there was one other thing i think i was going to say about it but i think i lost it so find <laughs> so find your arousal uh scale yeah. mm -hmm. everybody's scale is going to be different yeah. right yeah exactly yeah. see where you perform best within that scale mm-hmm in different situations. Yeah, it could change on based yeah. on some situations. And then, some sports it doesn't. But. Right. And then yeah. so if you're getting into that specific situation and you know that you're you're your best at seven mm -hmm. and you find yourself at a nine, yeah. bring yourself back to a seven yeah. and then yeah. you're, you'll optimize your performance. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, it's going to help. Okay. But again, the first thing though to do before that, deal with emotions that are unchecked, mm -hmm. right? And uh, the pink elephants, the distractions that have come in. Because you can do all your best to get yourself to a seven, but a seven with distractions is not a great seven. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right. So, um, and often if you have these like fears and worries, it's going to be hard to really get a nine down to a seven because part of the reasons it's a nine is because you're anxious. Yeah. Right. And you're worried and you haven't dealt with the emotions and anxieties mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that. So uh, that kind of dual approach and then it's, and then it's staying in the moment and staying at that intensity level. That is the inner game in a nutshell. So. Right. Uh, um, so uh, that was there you go, Josh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Spent ten minutes on you. Josh also says if anybody wants to challenge him in golf, he'll smoke you. Oh yeah. These are his words, not yeah, mine. Yeah. Buddy. Well, if he's trying to break seventy, then yeah, he'll be pretty good. Yeah. yeah I mean, if he's asking about how to get sub seventy, he's <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably yeah. gonna smoke you. Yeah, I got a shot of thirty nine the other day. That was big for, on the back. I shot forty five okay. on the front. So it was an eighty four on the day, but it was I got dialed in on the back. I was, was got some good bounces. You're on fire. I was on fire. 
So and three three putts to start the day. That was <laughs> could have could have could have been somebody. So your daughter might be uh, yeah <laughs> on her way up by next year. Yeah. So one thing you just mentioned is imagery, yeah. which I also wanted to ask you about. So a lot of people obviously don't know what imagery is, especially yeah. if they're not in our field. Or mm-hmm. uh, can you explain like what what visualization is, what imagery is? Yeah. So um, the for me the basic concept of it is it's all about setting your intention for what you want your attention to be on. And so mm-hmm. um, you can do imagery from your own point of view. You're closing your eyes, imagining um, previous performances is often helpful, like reinforcing things when you've done well. And when you were at that right arousal level uh, and your head was clear, the clear bubble and positively reinforcing past success by imagining it. And as well as then imagining current day or upcoming games and competitions. Mm-hmm. And so you're there. What does it feel like? Uh, what do you want to do and how does it feel while you do it? What intensity level arousal? Um, you want to feel confident, but elaborate on that. You're confident and assertive, fast, quick, strong, big, explosive. Or there's all these kind of emotional feelings. And so you want to be like you're there. And so, and then you go through then the most important plays for you to do imagery of, not just like 25 minutes of the whole like mm-hmm. thing like you know that's Not probably too much bench, yeah. like what yeah, are you yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah so but i will encourage and and most people don't do this which will be do imagery of your mental skills so like for a hockey player i'll have them do imagery of resetting and managing their motions on the bench so not of them making a mistake and getting frustrated but i feel frustrated right now how okay i'm going to accept and let go remember i'm human mm. and calm myself back down i'm at a nine i want to get back to an eight and then get focused on my next shift and what I want to do. And so it's like, they by doing that, you become more likely to manage your emotions more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, this is great. Um, also doing the imagery of before the game or before competition or near the end. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do this a lot. Like you could close your eyes right now and you could imagine yourself, it's like it's game seven, Stanley Cup finals. And you feel or whatever the pressure situation is, end of the round, oh, I want to get my 69 break my 70 oh you're there you're about to do it and you close your eyes i'm there oh the the butterflies come the nervousness comes the tension comes the worry and and anxiety comes so you can actually rehearse oh i have that feeling deal with it let it go and you can do that in your mind as a practice so then when you get there you've already practiced doing it a bunch of times because like how else are you supposed to mentally prepare to deal with the pressure imagery is like one of the best ways so this is like a hack yeah, like it's, it's, of, it's a one way of a hack. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, kind of a hack. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a hack. No, I mean, it's like instead it's still of still not being, easy. You have to do it over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, instead of being in actually in that yeah. situation over yeah. and over again for you to get experience, you can yeah. do it in your own yeah, mind. Do it in your mind. Yeah, and that's it's kind of, it's kind of cheating. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's good cheating. It's it's it's, it's well, it's what they all it's what the best athletes in the world do. Yeah. You think they they constantly thinking about their game and studying it, and mm-hmm. they do it for their actual mm-hmm. game. And some of them will be naturally or through coaches or sports psych, people are helping them be like, yeah, get ready to deal with the pressure. Mm-hmm. They're just more prepared to deal with it. Yeah. And so, and but it's also about dealing with it um, in the way that's going to be most effective for you. So uh, as an example, like the pressure situation comes, well, what are you so worried about? Because acceptance and let go is not some kind of like blanket statement that works is you have to know what to accept and let go how what exactly is that pink elephant what exactly is the thing that's bugging you Mm. um or distraction and learn to deal with that and so you get clear on that and then do mental rehearsal of that and but it could change Mm. right and uh and you do it one time it might not work the next time because you have to continuously reflect and grow so the other side of the most common is uh self-reflection and get into self-reflect 
on their mental game, but also on their game and, and the important areas. And right. so most elite athletes are doing that to some extent. Um, most of them overlook often the mental game. So um, I heard that Duncan Keith mentioned uh, that mm-hmm. he's big into imagery and visualization. And yeah. It's helped him out a lot in his game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're a yeah. three times Stanley yeah. Cup champ and oh, Tom yeah. Smith winner. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, no, for sure. That's it's, good advice. It's a lot of the, I know Braden Holpe's huge into the mental game. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, like a lot of the guys are, it's, it's really growing. The, that's why it's, it's huge in like sports like golf and baseball that it's like, if you're off just a little bit, yeah, like it's, you know, it was a pretty noticeable. Like that's why goaltending's it's huge. Yeah. So, I mean, like every pro team probably has a sports psych or more on staff. Yeah, most, yeah. Or at least like, yeah, like, yeah. A, yeah. How many athletes do you think use it per team? Like percentage? Yeah, it would. Vary. I wouldn't know necessarily. Um, I know, like I know in MLB, like it's it's pretty extensively used. Um, I know in the NHL, I don't know for certain, but I know like a lot of teams definitely have people on staff, um, or one person on staff that like kind of comes in every so often. Mm. Um, I don't know as many teams that are as well integrated, whereas like um, in the NHL, and I don't know if every team has somebody necessarily yet in the NHL like hockey's a pretty slow adopting sport yeah right like it's like only old old boys club like it's you know um I think I don't know if it was Lou but somebody said uh somebody on the lead and like Lou's gone now but it was somebody that's like we don't want players that need a sports psychologist like Like Lamorello I think that Lou might have said that or somebody in the somebody at some point somebody said that and uh which is just classic old school so it's like they don't need it, but, um, and there's one of the guys that works with the Habs made a good point, which is like, um, you know, dryland training is not optional. Like practices aren't optional. Why would be, it be optional to work on your mental game? Right. Like, and it's, and, um, and even if things are going really well and you're on top of it, it's not about, like coming to talk to somebody isn't going to throw off your mental game necessarily. Um, and maybe the talk will be very short. Like, uh, the athletes I work with, we do a long-term program. Some weeks it's like, all right, sounds like everything's pretty good. Calls on done short. I'm just a, here as a resource to check in. And some weeks it's like, we need to book an extra call. Yeah. Like we got a lot going on, but, um, worst thing that can happen is, yeah. is the athlete goes, oh yeah, I know all those things. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, okay, good, good yeah. to see you. I'll yeah, talk yeah, to you yeah, Nice chat. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it's, uh, yeah. So that's anyways, it's just kind of goes to why hockey is a bit of a slow adopting sport, but it's mm-hmm. coming around. It's definitely coming around. And, um, uh, and I know as an example, uh, like the Seattle Seahawks. So um, was that Steve Carroll, the coach? Pete Carroll. Yeah, Pete Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Pete. Yeah, Steve. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> um, I have read his book a while ago. I used to read a bunch of his books. And he really does love the inner inner game of tennis stuff with mm-hmm. uh, Timothy Galloway, I think his name. And uh, some great stuff. And so Pete's like big into it, right? And I think their guy, their sports psych guy is like highly integrated into their team. Like he's around all the time. Nice. Like and his main thing is just the the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Whereas like I know guys uh, and people that work with other teams and, and pro teams, especially in hockey, they're in and out. Like they'll come in for a bit. Yeah. Then they're not really there. So they're not as integrated. Whereas in the MLB, they're often pretty integrated. Like they're mm-hmm. just, it's their full-time jobs working with that one pro team. So then how much the guys use it, again, varies on sport and probably varies on person. Like guys in the NHL, I know for certain, like they might have a sports psych for their team, but they have their own sports psych guy. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. they, like mm-hmm. there'll be just some individuals because they want it more. So they want their own person and the person yep. that they've made a relationship with. So there's a bit of that too, right? So 
my my guess is also obviously hockey is super old school and mm-hmm. um but also because in, in sports like football or yeah. or uh baseball yeah. every play is like an isolated moment mm-hmm. where there's more pressure whereas in yeah. in hockey or soccer it's like a flow of plays yeah yeah there's like a hundred plays going yeah. on in, mm-hmm. in, in a period yeah whereas in baseball it's like it's you and the yeah. batter exactly yeah. and that's it and every, all eyes are on you and yeah. it's like the pressure is more and i guess the need for sports like maybe more yeah exactly yeah that's and that's why they probably been more open to it because it's <laughs> like they see the impact quicker and yeah. like it is very obvious but mm-hmm. uh, it's just as helpful and applicable to hockey and yeah. um one thing that does happen in hockey is like because like you might be out of it and then but once the shift going then you, you just kind of naturally come back into the flow uh to a degree um so that's that, that kind of like it sometimes solves itself to a degree but then you might get thrown out and or at least you'll be off to a degree not maybe as much off as like Still a goalie though like a goalie like if they're off they're off like it's mm-hmm. <laughs> they make a mistake it's a goal against yeah. And they don't have teammates to cover for them, mm-hmm. right? Now, um, but with that said, I w- I'm pretty strongly about like in hockey and any flow sport, mm-hmm. like you're off, like it's they might they start to think, well, they'll make excuses and they don't understand the mental game enough because they don't know what it is, so they'll make excuses for other things. But it definitely has an impact on their performance, and that's where it's like you're, there's still a downward spiral effect, or you might just get benched, mm-hmm. like. Um, and uh and those kind of things are get a little less playing time or you just play a little more reserve that day but that's uh it's still gonna undercut your overall performance one more thing also about um like these pro athletes like they have access to everything they want all mm-hmm. you know like sports psychologists they want and yeah. all that but i feel like even still they probably don't consult the sports psychologist until they're like yeah. in trouble <laughs> yeah, yeah right so is, yeah. It, is it like a good idea to to just uh, you know talk with a sports psychology even if things are going well like yeah why not? for sure yeah it's um it's more about learning and understanding what the mental game is and how you can play it and um and, uh, and the inner game and confidence in these mental mm-hmm. skills um and understand what they are and what you can do and then find out what works for you and, and use those but um my big thing um because if you're having a little bit of trouble with the mental game then you might eventually have a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. So like get on top of it before it gets too late. Like some athletes maybe like figure it out on their own. They're just the way they've self-reflected their whole life and been modeled and had coaches that taught them how to respond to adversity and mm-hmm. move past things. So maybe they don't really, it's not that beneficial for them. They've got it on top of it, but most don't. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's just to what degree. And then once you face enough adversity, then things really will downward spiral. You face enough pressure. Mm. Um, and you think of like youth athletes becoming elite, um, you can get away with being good and not having a great mental game when you're just that much more dominant. But as the, you know, the crowd narrows down and everybody's just as fast and strong and skilled, it's who can be consistent, who's mm-hmm. that much dialed in, who's trusting themselves and mm-hmm. in the moment is what will then separate consistently, right? right? So um, that becomes another reason. Um, but yeah, my favorite is when somebody signs up before the season starts. I like people call me all oh, mid-season, oh, look at all these problems. <laughs> like, okay, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to try and patch this up here kind of idea. This is like a throw bit of a, tape around. Yeah, throw tape around it and yeah, you know, it'll work, but it's like, it's so much, I have some athletes I work with last year they start before the season starts and then they're just purring the whole season. And then we're just managing throughout the, mm. the hockey year and stuff. So, right. um, so people that then eventually get it, they realize, no, this is not a like one and done thing. This mm-hmm. is an ongoing thing. Just like going to the gym, you don't get strong and then stop. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you don't do, uh, injury prevention until you get injured. You do it before you get injured. Right. Exactly. Like it's the uh, kind of, the, kind of the same idea. Um, but yeah, so that's, 
I definitely highly encourage. It's like something that you can mm-hmm. do ongoing. And one of the things I always frame right away, which goes back into kind of like lose, or I think it was lose comment of like, oh, it's a need based activity. As soon as you're doing something, it's I need to do this. It's you're, it's your, it's your, well, but also it's a, that's a problem. It's not going to go as well. Like if you're going to work out, I need to go work out. How, like, mm. how are you going to work out? I'm like, right. no, you're not going to work out that well. It's going to be like, oh, there's going to be tension around mm. it. Oh, I have to go to practice. You don't have to go to practice. You want to go to practice. You want to work out. You want to become the best athlete you can be. And, but it's the same way mental game. I want to work on my mental game. Not, oh, I need to. Oh, I need to do this. Man, and then it's, it's like, because then it's like you're being forced to do it instead of like something you want to do. So like, I don't, I always preface it right away. I'm not going to work with an athlete that feels like they need to work with me. I want them to want to work with me mm-hmm. and do the programs. Um, and now they're going to be more open to learning and using the things, mm-hmm. uh, the exercises. So, um, but yeah, that's also, um, and that goes to like lose like, oh, I don't want to work with, we don't want players or whoever said it that need sports like no, nobody right. needs it right. i don't i like, even if you're terribly lack of confidence whatever you're feeling you don't need it like you they don't need to do anything like yeah, <laughs> you can right. keep, keep being upset if you want like, I'm, yeah. like um you know you can talk to whoever you want and you can go google stuff like i like you'll find a way if you want to so but as soon as you that need word is a that puts a spin and connotation on it that can mm-hmm. um really like that that becomes a jarring impact for people and um yeah so. well good news for Leafs fans because i think <clears throat> i think yeah. kyle dubas would be pretty big on sports psychology yeah. well it's i know like... they hired somebody they have a female in there um, yeah yeah so i got somebody in yeah so so uh, sticking with hockey do you like with the rise of analytics and and mm-hmm. hockey um Corsi Fenwick all that stuff yeah I feel like um some intangibles like mental toughness Mm -hmm. grit compete level all that are becoming more and more ridiculed yeah like every time I read a piece that involves um Mm -hmm. analytics or someone talks about analytics they keep making fun of those intangibles Mm -hmm. because they think that all that makes sense and all that you need is good possession numbers or like good stats Mm -hmm. and all that Mm -hmm. like how do you feel about all that stuff yeah, and just to clarify, there's um, what were they ridiculing? The um, the most ones that I see being ridiculed mm-hmm. are grit and compete level. Okay, yeah. So um, no, for sure. The um, the one thing that I'll highlight though is um, like at the end of the day, it's really hard to measure. How do you measure grit and compete level? Mm-hmm. So um, how do you measure emotional regulation? Mm-hmm. How do you measure like all these skills aren't they're not tangible? Yep. There are subjective mm-hmm. assessments. So like the first thing I always do with athlete is I get them to self-assess, but then it's all about whether they're being honest. So for, so from a, like a coach or a scout to assess someone's grit and intensity level uh, or compete level is like, they can't objectively necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. And um, that doesn't mean it's not an important concept to consider and contemplate. Um, and then it's about reading people and understanding who they are and their values is what would be probably what I would uh, tie into. That's going to get the most out of your grit and intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other, like, and a lot of people will watch. And I, I think, especially in hockey, I think, um, a lot of the scouts will like, they really prioritize grit character and intensity. Like they can see compete. Um, but a lot of coaches will say they can teach compete. It's like, you don't want to compete. Well, now you don't play. <laughs> so, mm. um, can you like, teach compete? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. Um, uh, you can create a, you know, create a competitive environment, right? And you uh, get people to become more self-aware and self-regulate to compete harder mm-hmm. and more aware of their effort level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, positive reinforce effort and those kind of things mm-hmm. depending on the, the level. Um, 
So yeah, I would say so to a degree, right? Again, and but it goes back to then values. Like if they're not intrinsically motivated in the mm -hmm. first place, they don't truly love the game. Then you know we're pulling hair. Like it's, it's, it's where the conversation is not as important. Yeah. So it comes back to like how much do they really love it, and that's going to come through with how well they compete. And um, but sometimes it's bad habits they developed or been modeled from other people, and so that can be kind of adjusted and and accounted for. Now. In terms of then the stats, um, I would say, and I would put a lot of weight on like something like puck possession and those course mm -hmm. and those other stats in the sense of you're going to have good stats if they're accurate stats and like not um, inflated um, or, and they're fairly within your control if you have the compete and intensity and grit. Exactly. So it's like, so these stats are somewhat indicative. They're a proxy of, for something. Yeah, they're something. proxies like, they of they different things. They don't create themselves. Yeah. So there's obviously there's skill in mm. it too. But there's definitely compete and and grit in those stats as well, and so um, so that would be kind of like my my thought there. And uh, at the end of the day, my the the point about grit or intensity and uh, and compete is that that will be aligned with your outcomes. And it's like you can't have like you can't be a great athlete without having intrinsic drive. Like it's not you're not gonna have one without like to a degree mm -hmm. and so like you're not going to be a you know get all these outcomes if you don't have some level of compete and grit mm -hmm. like it's a, so um it's important to be aware of both but to um say that this is completely in, not important and this is all everything yeah. um you know it's understanding what is all what are the reasons for all of these mm -hmm. um and uh there was somebody else who talked about it but the the concept that i like is often the most important things are the intangibles the things you can't measure mm -hmm. love you can't measure love how do you know when you fell in love with somebody and it's like yeah. it's like it happens in a moment there's no measure for that mm. the, your passion for the game your intrinsic motivation that's like there's de obviously different questionnaires and things yeah but there people can lie about those but there's no like objective outward measure um for that but so then those nerds will argue that you're <clears throat> your possession numbers in your marriage is all what counts and not how much you love your yeah. your wife or something that drives me crazy yeah so the one thing also that yeah. i was gonna say that drives me crazy in, in hockey especially like with analytics is uh exactly like you said like we'll praise someone mm -hmm. for having good possession numbers and good defensive numbers and mm -hmm. like good shot suppression mm -hmm. it's like okay but how did he strip that guy off the puck like mm -hmm. how does patrice bergeron mm -hmm. skate all the way back to the defensive zone strip the mm -hmm. guy off the puck and enhance his advanced metrics mm -hmm. if he didn't have good compete level. Yeah. Exactly. If he didn't have good work ethic. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's like it's the same people that ridicule no. um, intangibles are the yeah. same ones that praise the stats that yeah. have those components within them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, drives yeah. me crazy. Yeah. No, that's that's ludicrous. The yeah. That Patrice Bergeron doesn't compete. Everybody in the NHL competes. Like that's how they got there. Yeah. Like it's, you know, there's no, uh, they're very, like, even people will, will chirp, like, Phil Kessel. Like, that's mm -hmm. everyone's favorite. Like, oh, he doesn't work hard. No, that guy works hard. Like, you think he doesn't work hard? Like, he is, you know, he's got kind of a funny personality, I think, and, like, yeah. demeanor and, you know, kind of people will poke fun. And doesn't and, necessarily look yeah, like. like, a, look like the most, yeah. like, um, athletic guy. Mm -hmm. But he is incredibly athletic. And he definitely works hard. Do you think he got there by just pure natural talent? Like, right. no, he was like, had to, he's had to work at it. And mm -hmm. he has to compete when he plays. Like, you don't think he bends his legs and reaches and drives and there's not a level of compete there. There is like, maybe is it as high as like Crosby? <clears throat> um, maybe not, but right. like, does it get the job done? Of yeah. Yeah. There's a job done. Like, and it's my, like, nobody's job to compete. Who's the harder mm -hmm. computer between Phil Kessel and Crosby. They're both great. Like, so, right. <laughs> um, so that's, um, 
but yeah, like it's it's more at like maybe a youth level where it'd be like, okay, this guy's not competing. But then the question is, why are they not competing? Mm-hmm. And my thing is like, if they're intrinsically motivated, they value it and they want to do their best, well, then they will. And so if they're not, then maybe it needs to be linked um, to it or there's might be things holding them back and they're disengaged because of um, distractions and failures and things. Um, or maybe it's not what they love. Like it's like I've, I've had a couple athletes lately where they were kind of multi-sport athletes and they came to me talking about hockey and now ones we're just talking about golf. <laughs> it's like, you love golf, man. Like, let's talk about golf. Right. <laughs> That's your sport. Like, and uh, and then another one, same with uh, just recently about baseball. It's actually your sport's gonna be baseball. Like, it's it's like, yeah, I love baseball more. What are we talking about hockey for? <laughs> like, yeah. let's like, um, let's talk more about the thing you really love. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it's just kind of like some people aren't always aware of what their values are. So. Um, and it's, maybe that's influenced by our culture, which is highly hockey focused. Yeah, right? it is so, very highly focused. Yeah. Whereas, yeah so well. one thing, I, like, like I told you before, um, my work is mostly on predicting success in, in mm-hmm. NHL players. If you were in the combine, or you know, mm-hmm. even when you're scouting players and all that, you look for a lot of um, psychological attributes, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Even <clears throat> some of them are measured in tests, like yep. intelligence. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them are not just observed. Yeah. If you were to pick a player in the draft. Uh, what psychological attribute mm-hmm. of that player would you most focus on? Where you go, like, if this guy doesn't have this mm-hmm. or this much of this attribute, I mm-hmm. don't know if I want him. Yeah, so um, the way I would do it, if I was doing that, if I was, like, at the NHL Combine, um, which I know people do, and, they, um, and they'll get them to interview them or they'll do questionnaires, yeah. I would prefer to do interview and get to know somebody. And for me, the most important thing, and I've said it kind of a couple times in different ways, is how well how much they love the game and how um how much they value it and uh and enjoy it so their intrinsic motivation yeah their intrinsic motivation and like that is if that's like a guy like james neal go back to that guaranteed he had a high love for the game and that's why he went from being a fourth round ohl pick to now a guy that's you know had a great nhl career Mm -hmm. and and if i was comparing him to me um like i think i had a high love for the game uh and a high compete level um but maybe not quite as high as him. And maybe, and I also had then some other things that were holding me back. Like he was obviously mm-hmm. better, <laughs> knew <laughs> yeah. the game better. I mean, and you also have and to had better, put the yeah, in yeah, yeah. And he had a better training plan. And mm-hmm. my mental skills weren't obviously that great back then. And I had to work on them. Um, but anyway, so it's just kind of, mm-hmm. to me, it's getting to know. But if you have two really equally skilled athletes, it's like which one's trying to get a feel for which one's more intrinsically motivated um by asking certain questions like what do they think about what they focus on uh get, telling them to give stories um what they dream about and uh and getting to know them for who they are and mm-hmm. what their relationships out, outside because another big thing um that's obviously gets pushed out a lot in social media is like character right like the quality of person mm-hmm. they are um that would be probably a close second um or that might even be more important than intrinsic motivation but um I'd be kind of getting like, you know, what's, what's their demeanor about the sport and like, how do they carry themselves? Mm-hmm. And like, they're all going to be pretty highly motivated and, and, uh, and, you know, like putting it on the line, but like to what degree and like, and how genuine does that, is it coming across? Or are they just, cause it's all going to be like lie detecting. In a way. Yeah. <laughs> Not really lie because detecting, the, but it's like, they're going to say what you want to hear. Right. So it's these like, kids, like they have the answers drilled into their yeah. minds by their agents. Yeah. 
yeah, exactly, and also yeah. like uh, their own organizations in junior that yeah. like you, what yeah. are you really getting out of it yeah know? exactly out of interviewing them so and that's why i would also like i love with the athletes i work with i go watch them play or get a video of them because i can tell how much they love the sport and how they're feeling while they play by just watching their, their body, body language, language. Yeah. yeah i can pick up a lot on that um and so i find that's very um uh, intuitive but like mm-hmm. just because you have negative body language or you're not having great body language doesn't mean you don't love it it just might be pink elephants and mm-hmm. emotions coming in so i kind of can be able to attack it from two sides but um yeah i wouldn't want to just um get to know a player by just talking to them if i was in a draft situation mm-hmm. like i wouldn't want to just like oh let's just talk i want to watch them play like mm-hmm. how do they play and then how do they comment about how they play does their eye sparkle do they get excited in their voice like those kind of like I don't know if there's um, – they might have it in other areas. I don't think we have it in our field, but um, of ways to pick up like those subtle cues of excitement and things. Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably brain uh, scan things you could do. That would be pretty intense. But <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty <laughs> That would be pretty intense. That would be pretty inv- – like, um, but like, you know, the electrical things. Yeah. It sounds like what part of your brain lights up yeah. when you talk about these areas. Like mm-hmm. I know they do have studies of that, you know, to bring that to an NHL draft to, to assess how much they oh. really love the game. Like, that seems a little extreme. Um, but it's like, are... oh, our lie detector says you hate the game, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're bullshitting <laughs> yeah. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not really lighting up no. the prefrontal cortex area. This is, a, or whatever it is. So Brian Burke said that uh, one of the reasons why he messes with people in the, mm-hmm. or like draftees in the, yeah. in the combine is because he wants them to ditch everything yeah. that they've yeah. been taught about yeah. what to say in the interview yeah. and just be themselves. So yeah. he'll ask them like ridiculous questions and yeah. get yeah. them off their mental game. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. after that, they're, they're... Yeah, and then you get the feel for yeah. who they truly are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they take it too far. Like in the NFL, one time they asked, I don't know if you heard this, but they yeah. asked uh, a prospect if he finds his mom attractive. <laughs> And he's like, you know, all over the place, sweating and everything. And then after that, they interviewed him. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's awful. That's that's torture. You yeah, that's that. pretty messed up. Yeah. I wonder what he said though. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, so let me end on a couple questions here. Yeah. Um, what kind of um, what kind of like psychological advice? Because sport imitates life, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And life is like kind of like a big game, almost. Yeah. If you think about it, yeah. like a series of games. Um, what kind of psychological advice? can we draw from sports and apply it in our own daily lives Yeah, for as sure. regular people? Well, I think it's um, one is like perfectionism and the doubts and the, the whole emotional regulation piece and dealing with distractions um, and being able to manage our expectations around all of that. And, uh, and like, you know, I, um, I don't have all the stats, but I, like anxiety, depression, you know, all these things are highly on the rise because, people aren't understanding these mental skills and how to deal with them. And so just learning to deal with that. And, uh, and a lot of the athletes I work with, like, like we don't just talk about sport because if they're experiencing it in one area of their life, they often experience it in the other. So being able to accept and let things go and deal with uh, pressure situations, adversities, fears, doubts, um, is a life skill that we can all learn to deal with and manage the expectations. And when you live congruently and have an accurate self-image, uh, it becomes a lot easier. Um, it starts to flow. And so it's like getting to that point is important. Um, the, one of the, the big things I also, you know, on even a bigger page, uh, or bigger perspective, um, goes back to what we we're kind of talking about near the end there, which is like, you know, identifying what you value. And, um, and so some of the work that I've done, um, I use, I've done some of the work with like Dr. Don G Martini. Uh, John Martini, and uh, it's a lot about value linking and understanding what you personally value 
and what which is intrinsic motivation um and so if you can get clear on that then you get clear on who you are and then you can get clarity on dealing with why you're frustrated or pressure and nerves about certain things because it all comes back to what you value as a person um or the other language i'll use is what's meaningful to you and people will often pursue things to try to be happier and like, oh, I'll be happier than athletes. I'll be happier when I score more goals and this isn't that. Mm-hmm. And that's that whole, I'll be happy when, which is like, you're like, and then you get there and like, oh, mm-hmm. now I'll be happy when I get this. And like, that's just uh, the happiness trap. Yeah, the happiness trap. And so it says like, you know, live a meaningful life, um, mm-hmm. live a life according to what you value and your values may change, but pursue that. And that allows everything else to um, align with it. But if you have these like expectations and emotions and uh, things that aren't in check, you have to learn to be able to deal with those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as well, then from like an intentional piece is like uh, the whole pro- process mindset, right? And uh, and the day-to-day and like people getting caught up in social media and that kind of stuff that, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, people out there and advocates for like, you know, get off your Instagram account for a bit and give yourself a break and, um, you know, connect with people and all that kind of stuff like that's um goes back into reinforcing a structure that's not so outcome social comparison focused but instead like what are the things i can control what's meaningful to me what do i want to do instead of just what do i want to achieve Mm -hmm. um and focusing more on the doing and the meaning out of the doing versus and the journey versus just the end goal and outcomes and achievements um and then being able to have those linked in a way and that accords with what your values are Mm so um so that's kind of like the long-winded approach about identifying values, identifying um, how do you want to live? Like what kind of like, what's, what are the things that are important to you as a person? So there's a ton there. Like I've done some business work. I'm going to probably start doing a bit more this year as this hockey season starts and I kind of stabilize my hockey consulting and stuff. Um, I'll start doing more business workshops and presentations. I've got a couple lined up already, but, Mm. um, that's, you know, these skills definitely apply to real life and, um, it's just, uh, and in sport, it's just magnified often, right? Like it's Mm. like, you know, it's like very clear when you mess up. Whereas in life, sometimes it takes a while to get that kind of feedback where it's like, yeah, and, and vice versa <laughs> though, but also in terms of like the negative feedback, right? Like mm-hmm. when you're nervous in the sport, then you get a low score, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, a, a score you don't like. And that's like, okay. And, um, does that mean it's, it's still going? Oh, it just, uh, <laughs> the battery just died. It's okay. Okay. It's that's okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. I hope we still have the video. At least yeah. we have the audio. Okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah, well, so I guess that's uh, at the end of the, the that's wrap. a sign. That we, <laughs> but anything you want to promote, like uh, your Twitter, your Instagram, anything? Yeah, definitely know. trying to grow both uh, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah. We have a Facebook group page, um, consistently performance. Uh, my Twitter's Cassidy Preston, I think. Um, I, I think I know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah, getting the, starting to put more stuff out there on those mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, and then obviously, our, we have a new website coming up that has some. Uh, new like uh, uh, mindset academy that mm-hmm. has like courses that people can do just to get a little taste of more uh, applied like online workshops mm-hmm. uh, and then i'll be launching a new group coaching program because mm-hmm. i'm almost full for how many athletes i can work with and that's why i started bringing on some junior coaches and uh but also um I'd, you can work with athletes in a group and so we'll do a group coaching call and that's going to launch nice. in august i think so Mm-hmm. Uh, date's not finalized yet well i'll post all those things in the yeah. description people can yeah can find uh, it. check yeah. it out and subscribe and 
Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks again for doing yeah, this. I really my appreciate pleasure. it. Yeah, Taking the time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. No we'll chat again. Cheers.